Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Bill Press Pod. Well, here we are, middle of the summer, and parents are worried. Schools were shut down due to the coronavirus in March, April, May, and June. Most summer camps and summer schools were canceled for July and August. And now the big question worrying parents and students and teachers, what happens in September? Clearly, the pandemic won't be over as we had hoped. And this poses a big problem for K-12 and for higher education. So is there any way that schools and colleges can reopen? If classes do reopen, will they be in person or online? Do all students have access to online classes? And are all teachers qualified to teach them? So many important questions. For answers today, we turn to somebody who's been leading our schools through this time of crisis, Randy Weingarten, one of America's most dynamic labor leaders and president of the American Federation of Teachers. Randy Weingarten, it's good to reconnect. Nice to see you again. Nice to see you and nice to hear from you, Bill. And I hope that everybody is safe in your universe. Uh, they are indeed, and I hope in yours as well. So certainly, I think it's true to say that schools, parents, students, and teachers uh, have never faced a, a greater challenge in our time than that posed by COVID-19, and we know it's not over yet. So I'd like to begin by asking you the question that I get all the time, what's going to happen in September? Well, uh, so I think the honest answer is that since this, um, since none of us have a crystal ball, nobody's going to be you know, say with any total assurance what's going to happen in September. However, if you do actually follow the scientists as opposed to Donald Trump and you listen to what they're saying and some very progressive governors who have flattened the curve like they have done in Europe and in Asia, then we know that, number one, to the extent possible, we want to open schools, particularly for young children, um, because it's really important for them to not be as socially isolated as they have been. But when I say to the extent possible, as important as it is, as important as what the pediatrician said it, what it is, it is also really, really important to do something safely. And mm -hmm. As teachers say to me all the time, Maslow beats Trump, uh, Maslow beats um, Bloom all the time. Maslow beats Trump too, but Maslow ble beats Bloom all the time, which means that we really, as much as many of us want to get back to a normal, 
want to see our kids know that remote instruction didn't work. Safety is the watchword, and we have to reopen safely. And so what that means is because we don't have a national response to COVID, as the president has made clear, he's downplayed it, and he's um, in some ways um, been, I don't know whether he's been more incompetent than narcissistic or more narcissistic than incompetent, but he's, he's done, you compare the U.S. to um, other countries, we've done a pretty rotten job. Having said that, if we do what the other countries have done, um, and if we listen to scientists, then we know that if we have the physical distancing and mass, good ventilation and cleaning, and make sure that people have choices, meaning parents feel at risk, they shouldn't send their kids to school. If teachers are at risk, they need to have a accommodation. So if we do those six things, mm-hmm. then we can have a hybrid model of, of, of schooling. That's what we did with the rec centers in, in, in places like California and New York when we saw skyrocketing numbers and we had to have childcare for the essential workers and kids were safe and teachers were safe. And that's where the science seems to take us. So bottom line, sorry for the long explanation is that if we get the money to do all of those things, then there will be a hybrid model in some places for schooling in August and September because we know it's really important. And hybrid means, for example, that some kids may be person to person and some kids may still be online or that some kids will come some days and some kids come other days. Is that what we're talking about? Hybrid means that we're trying to get as many kids in possible as possible safely in a school at a particular time. So the new normal is no longer the new normal is not the old normal. It's not mm-hmm. going to be like it was, you know, last September. It's not going to be 30 kids in a classroom. It's going to probably be about 12 to 15 kids um with desks that are six, you know, basically um uh, with enough space so that they're six feet away from each other mm-hmm. and where um, we have where teachers are wearing masks and where you clean the school really well afterwards. I would actually argue that kids should be wearing masks too or face shields and where you're really careful in how kids travel through a school and how kids travel at home um, and you and you have good ventilation. That's what it's going to look like. And so for the period of time, since we don't have the space or the number of teachers that you would need to have um, um, 12 kids in a classroom instead of 30 kids in a classroom. So for the period of time that, 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 um, that, that the spacing constraints, the physical distancing constraints stop you from having all kids at the same time, that's when you're going to have staggered schedules. And some schools and some school districts are thinking about it as a A session and a B session in the morning and then the afternoon. And some schools are actually thinking about it as you um, get as many younger kids in for as often as possible 
as direct instruction. And then with the older kids, you have them like on a weekly basis where you do most of the instruction virtually, but then mm-hmm. you have reinforcement in terms of small group. So who decides? I, I think you said earlier there are no national guidelines. So is it up to each school district, each school superintendent, each governor? Who decides? Essentially. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's and and the more you see people pushing it. So so let me say let me say it this way. This is a national pandemic. And normally in a national emergency, you would see a national response for major, major issues. Having said that, in federalism, in our system of government, the states end up um, doing a lot of the work around health and safety and well-being of their citizens, including um, being responsible for public education. So in a normal situation, whether it was a Republican or Democratic president, you would actually have the CDC acting like God and really giving us lots and lots of advice. And then you'd have the president reinforcing that and getting the materials and the resources that people need to do that. And then you'd have different um, states, you know, um, changing things on the margin and districts changing things on the margin, but you'd have that kind of guidance. I'm saying it this way because none of that exists. We put our guidance out. We've, we've, you know, we've said to ourselves as the AFT, we'd be damned if we open as haphazardly as we closed. Mm -hmm. Even if we, and so we did our first press conference trying to figure out what the heck coronavirus was on February 2nd. We put our guidance out on how to reopen safely at the end of April, April 29th. The CDC, and only because of pressure, was able to put guidance out that that basically said mass and physical distancing, ventilation and cleaning. And they only got their guidance out at the end of May, early June. And McConnell is still not willing to open up the federal FISC to actually fund this stuff, you know, McConnell and Trump, when it was about the cruise ship industry, they rushed to do a, you know, some some package. But it comes to kids, we still haven't gotten the funds that we need to even do what the CDC has said. So the long answer and the short answer to your question is it's a mess because there's no federal guidance in any meaningful way that's reinforced. Betsy DeVos is a no-show. The only thing she rears her head up for is to say, you know, that private schools and religious schools um, should get a bigger piece of the pie than 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 um, at-risk kids. Um, and and governors are left to their own. So the governors who have actually made science their watchword, Republican and Democratic alike, like Hogan and Cuomo and um DeWine and um, and Pritzker, um, they they have been pushing hard for a federal package, and they've been reopening very slowly. And you see in these states um, um, a, a successful tackling of community virus, mm-hmm. and so you can see in those states um, uh, you can envision that if it keeps on going the way it's going, you can reopen 
schools, particularly for young kids, under the conditions I talked about. But then you get to Florida, um, who's still where the governor is still downplaying the virus. You get to Texas, where the governor finally has said, wear a mask. And you have huge community spread right now. So in those situations, I don't see how you open schools at the beginning of August in Texas because there's too much community spread. And, mm-hmm. and, and then you've got a situation. So, so I think that part of the Trump's abdication of responsibility is that we're not giving a consistent message. The message I've said, which is kids are important. They should have been more important than bars. We should be, we should all be thinking about how to reopen safely, particularly for young kids. But we have to have these measures in place from physical distancing to masks to reasonable accommodation for those who are at risk. I shouldn't be the only one saying this. Fauci shouldn't be the only one saying this. We should, there should be a consistent public health um, chorus on this so that everyone in America understood what the science was. That's Trump's failure. As we speak on this Tuesday, July 7, uh, the president is finally maybe recognizing the importance of this and is holding uh, a workshop or whatever you call it, town hall at the White House uh, on the title National Dialogue on Safely Reopening America's Schools. You are the president of um, one of the largest teachers unions in the country. Uh, Were you invited? Of course not. Uh, I'm the president of the, one of the of the of one of the two teacher unions of the country, but also the entity that put the first guidance out that no one has contradicted us about. And you know, and and so what you're seeing here is the president is doing yet another political stunt, as opposed to you know, it's obvious to anybody who has had a conversation with any parent or any teacher in the last four weeks that this is top of the mind. Absolutely. What the president is doing is the only thing the president cares about is reopening more of the economy so that he can have a once a month um, uh, uh, celebration about the number of people who are back to work. That's the only thing he cares about. And so they see schooling not as what it is, which is how do we help, um, you know, create opportunity for all the youngsters in America and how do we do it safely and how do we meet their needs, including their um, their well-being needs, given they're in the middle of three crises. He doesn't see it that way. He sees us as a custodial function and that if the schools don't um, open, you know, for in-school learning, he's not going to be able to have his once a month um, cheer fests about the number of jobs that have been created or recreated. Right. So what did we learn from the experience that we had with online teaching or with Zoom teaching or whatever you referenced a little earlier? It's just not as good. The only person who thinks that online teaching is the best thing in creation is Betsy DeVos. And she has pushed it with K-12 Inc. and other of these for-profit charters for years. And she's pushed it, you know, with people who do homeschooling and whatever. 
and but you saw even before COVID, you saw that the statistics were pretty negative for online teaching. There are there are some kids for whom remote instruction is terrific, but for most of us, we shouldn't be looking at a screen for this long. Kids need to have kids in their lives. There needs to be um, less social isolation. So there's a lot there's a lot of reasons. There's the lack of digital materials, there's the lack of hardware, there's the lack of connectivity. So there were a lot of reasons, even if it was perfectly planned, that this would not be the perfect setup. And then on top of it, because of the downplaying of the virus, it got planned over the course of time in basically two weeks, Mm -hmm. as opposed to three to six months, or even a month or two. And so what teachers, we just did a poll of teachers, what teachers have said to us is that their districts tried to be pretty good and pretty responsive in terms of the, you know, what happened, you know, in the in the few weeks, the run up to it. And in fact, there were several districts I know that did a lot of professional development in a very, very small period of time. But in the recent polling that we just did about um, this, um, teachers throughout the country have said that um, it didn't really work. Um, 12% of K-12 teachers thought that it worked just as well as um, in school. 86% said no. And of school PSRPs, 19% said it worked as well. 73% said no. And even in higher ed, where there's been much more facility with online, 24% said it worked as well. And 70% said it worked much less well. And mm. and the reasons are obvious. I just wanted to use the polling results rather than anecdotally. The reasons are obvious. Most of us learn um, by being to, by building off of each other, by being together with people, by looking at having body, by reinforcing through body language, through kinetic energy, through um eye contact. And and it's very, very hard to do any of that on Zoom. It's very hard to do reinforcement on Zoom. It's, it's, it's thank God for Zoom technology. Thank God for Google technology. And so what teachers have told me, particularly for, for more, um, for, for the older kids, is that what they, what they also learned was that in order to not compete with, you know, what families had to do during the day, so you couldn't have kind of synchronistic lessons each um, every single day. You couldn't have like, you know, say, say there were four kids in the family, everybody on a computer doing whatever um, classwork they would normally do at 10 o'clock in the morning and then at 11 o'clock and then at 12 o'clock. What, 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 what teachers of, more, of, of high school students told me is if they actually taped a lecture that kids could see anytime they wished. And then they did reinforcing classrooms mm-hmm. that tended to be better for high school kids. With elementary school kids, though, you really needed to have the class together to do that kind of direct instruction. And then what happens when you're a kindergartner? What happens when you're a second grader? What happens if you've never really used a computer in this way before? And, and how do you be on a screen for this much? And what happens if your home doesn't have connectivity? And what happens in a pandemic when you see that your kids are not there? How do you find them? 
So there was a lot of the what happens, what if, what if, what if. What makes it harder for September is that at least this year, in March, we knew our kids. So when mm-hmm. school ended, we knew our kids. When you start all of this by remote, that kind of interpersonal connection is absent. Well, that that gets to one thing that concerns me. I'm concerned that our grandkids, and we have five of them, God love them, lost, in effect, six months of school. Um, do you fear that, or does that worry you, and can we ever make it back up? So what worries me is the lack of community and social simulation and the education that happens as part of it. It, what worries me is the equities that have happened through this. I, you know, I know a lot of us talk about learning loss, but the issue really is the engagement and how you recreate a sense of confidence about learning, a sense of confidence about society, a sense of confidence about their people's future, and 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 doing that. Next year is going to be a bridge year, one way or the other. Um, mm-hmm. There's no um, and 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 so there's there's there there's no crystal ball on. Oh my God, we lost this one year. What are we going to do for the rest of our lives? If we really attend to kids' emotional wellness, which frankly is not an issue just because of COVID, but it's an issue because of this recession. And it's also an issue because we're in the middle of a reckoning around race. Let's not forget that watching that video over uh, George Floyd's murder over and over and over again with a police officer with his hands in his pocket as he has his knee on Mr. Floyd's neck, that's a pretty traumatic event. And they, so the, the seeing of racism in front of your eyes, the pandemic that um, affects people who are poor or people who are of color more than affects whites. And on top of that, an economic recession or depression where people who are immigrants are getting hurt more than people who are white. All of this is affecting our kids. The learning, the, the book learning, if we use this year well and we think about different ways of catching kids up and meeting their needs, I'm less concerned about the book learning and I'm more concerned about the social isolation and the emotional needs of our students. And we're talking with Randy Weidengarten, who's the president of the AFT, uh, American Federation of Teachers. Let's take a quick break here on the Bill Press Pod, then we'll be right back, continue our conversation. And today's podcast with the president of the AFT is brought to you by the members of the AFT, longtime supporters of the Bill Press Show and the Bill Press Pod under President Randy Weingarten. They are 1.7 million members strong in some 3,000 affiliates nationwide, representing our teachers and professors K through 12 and in our colleges and universities, meeting the challenges today of COVID-19 and doing a great job. We thank them for doing the Lord's work and thank them for their support of the Bill Press Pod. You can host the best backyard barbecue. 
when you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. And we're back with President Randy Weingarten of the American Federation of Teachers. Randy, just before the break, you mentioned uh, the Black Lives Matter movement, the response to the murder of George Floyd. Um, it is another crisis and also another opportunity. Um, how, how do schools respond? How should schools respond? How are they responding? Is this uh, what sometimes we call a teaching moment? Yes, this is really... Uh... This is not only a teaching, look, this is going to be the, this is going to be one of the most formidable moments in young people's lives for um, the, the fact that we are in the middle of three crises um, and, and, and the fact that the, um, that, that people, um, in a multi-generational and multi-racial way have said Black Lives Matter um, is probably the most hopeful sign that I've seen in the last four years. Meaning there is a sense that justice needs to be served in the United States. That the, um, that, that, that uh, the racism that could, that, um, that could or would enable um, for three police officers to watch Mr. Floyd being killed and do nothing is something that must be addressed. Now, our Black friends and our Black colleagues, Bill, have been saying this to us for years. 
But the but this is a moment I think that America has taken on this issue. White Americans have taken it on. Young Americans have taken it on. That is not just a burden for African Americans to take on. And that is what I think is changing in the country. And it's going to be a huge the the president made it clear that this is a huge con- contrast. He has decided that he's going to um run this race based upon upon white supremacy. Mhm. And white and 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 so, you know, his retweeting that white power um uh uh video was not a mis- was not his mistake. That is what he believes. He made that clear at Ra- Mount Rushmore this weekend and he made that clear um at the White House this weekend that you know, to him confederate monuments are more important than liberty and freedom and justice. Fighting to make sure that someone is not killed while jogging because he's black or not killed while driving because he's black as what happened to um to um uh Philandro Castillo, this is the anniversary of his death in Minneapolis. Or or when a black man says, I can't breathe, and cops don't help him, this is the racism that we need to confront, not um, fighting to keep Confederate uh, monuments to Confederate leaders who were there attempting to enshrine and continue to enshrine slavery. And and so I think it's not just for kids. I think this is a moment that all of us are living in as to whether we are going to be warriors for justice. Will we be soldiers for justice or will we turn away or will we allow injustice to continue? And 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 so I think our kids in some ways if we can help frame it in a way that they see they are part of making history, it's going to be a very hopeful time. But again, I'm going to go back to the first part of this conversation, which is we have to do it safely. Right. And people, and we have to be, those of us who have studied the science and understand the science and believe the scientists, we have to fight for safety during COVID and we have to fight for the resources that states and schools and people need to be able to weather this storm, including go back to school. Now, part of the learning experience, of course, gets to history, our history, and being honest about our history. At Mount Rushmore on the 4th of July, uh, Donald Trump basically turned and blamed it on schools. He said, quote, against every law of society and nature, our children are taught in school to hate their own country and to believe that the men and women who built it were not heroes, but that they were villains. So I guess what he wants is just not to tell the truth. Um, look, I don't know Donald Trump's mind other than there's not the racism attended in that statement was just staggering the division and the hate 
the sense that teachers, frankly, many teachers are not political. Most teachers want to make a difference in the lives of kids. Telling them that they indoctrinate hate when they spend their lives um, unlocking hope, creating the freedom to hope, creating a road towards knowledge um, is just antithetical to me and to my members. This is the sign of a desperate politician who traffics in fear and hate and has doubled down on the racism those of us in New York saw of him when he took a full page ad out to blasphemize the Central Park Five. Five black youngsters who were found innocent of the crime they were accused of. This is the man who, after you had white supremacists um, carry kiki torches in Charlottesville, saying Jews will not replace us, and, and not even wearing the hoods of the KKK, making it clear that they wanted their faces to be known, that he, they, he said there were good people on both sides. This country has never been perfect in terms of justice issues. But as King and Obama and others have said, we try and fight for the arc to bend towards justice. Trump wants to break that arc, and he wants a country that is dominated by white men again. That's what he sees as his as as the way in which he views America. But that is not the America that I have grown up in. I've grown up in an America that's much more heartful, that's much more soulful, that wants to see its better angels, that wants to see equality amongst all, that fought a civil war to end slavery, that fought for equal protection, that fought for voting rights, that fought for equal rights, that fought for um, for children to have good schooling, that has fought for LGBT rights, that has fought for having a country where all of us can be dreamers and doers. It's just a really different view than I think we've ever seen in somebody who's had the power of the pulpit of the presidency of the United States. Here on the Bill Press Pod today, we're speaking with Randy Weingarten, president of the AFT. Uh, Randy, I know it's a very, very busy days for you. Uh, just a couple of quick points here before we let you go. Uh, I have to ask you about a Supreme Court decision last week, Espinoza versus Montana Department of Revenue. It just seems like Betsy DeVos's dream, right? The Supreme Court saying that religious schools, private schools should get a big slice of state money. So, you know, this case, the Espinosa case, um, should have been mooted out. The there was the the um you know, there was no more real voucher program in Montana and um the uh parents there you know, there 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 was a question as to whether or not even the Supreme Court should hear it. 
what um, what Betsy DeVos and others want to do is they basically want um, uh, uh, to change the First Amendment of the Constitution as we know it to basically say that religious institutions and the state should be, you know, should be the one and the same, and that this that religious institutions don't have to follow any of the laws that the separation of church and state has has ensured that they don't follow, um, but that religious institutions should get all the funding that um, public institutions get. And so she just has a really different view, as do the people who are supporting her, of what that separation means. I would actually argue, separate and apart from, from what the case was, I would actually argue that religious institutions with this case and these others that are coming up are going to lose a lot more religious freedom because with the funding that comes, well, mm-hmm. from accountability, with tax funding comes accountability. And and so, you know, they may not, no longer be not for profit. They may no longer have the accountability, the lack of accountability that they have. They may have to follow all the discrimination rules. So I'm not all that sure that um, what they got here was something that's going to actually help them in the long run. What, 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 but, but essentially what the case said was that if there is um, a voucher program, regardless of what your state constitution says, um, and if um, a state decides to do anything for any private schools, it has to do it for religious schools too. And that there's no longer a line between what is religious and what is not religious. And so, you know, so so there's a lot of celebration on the other side. I I'm concerned that it's going to actually siphon more money off from public schools. I'm a big believer in religious schools, but I'm a big believer that they needed to be separate because you have much more religious liberty if they are separate. And now what's happened is it's blurred that line and it will be used to siphon off money from public schools. Right. Now, you have a big convention coming up later this month, yeah. the AFT. Uh, and I saw that your convention is going to be entirely <laughs> online, <laughs> which is a first, I believe. Uh, how are you going to pull that off? And are there some lessons there for the uh, DNC and its convention coming up? Well, look, you know, NEA just had their convention online. Um, the big difference between ours and NEA is that we're actually going to have resolutions and uh, it's going to be interesting to see how we can do this. We've we've changed a lot of, look, we're in a unprecedented time. We've changed a lot of the rules of the convention. We'll see what happens. We're figuring out how, you know, people can debate and how people can vote when it's virtual as opposed to, um, you know, in person. We have um, a very, 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 um, uh, 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 a, a membership that very much loves the debate, very <laughs> right. much loves to, you know, to, to really have their say and have their voice. And that's why we thought it was important to try to figure all of this stuff out. Um, but it's important even while we're physically distant, to stay connected. And that's why we are trying to do it this way. For the first time ever, we're going to have a mail ballot for the officers of the uh, of the AFT. We've never done that. We've always had a ballot at the convention. So there's going to be a ballot, you know, a mail ballot, um, you know, after, um, you know, we're 
where people who are delegates will have 30 days to, you know, vote for the new officers. So mm-hmm. I don't know who the new officers are at the end of the convention either. Um, but I'm really, you know, it's a it's a brave new world. And I think we have to we're all learning how to make sure that we can connect um, while we um, pay close attention to the science about what to do during a pandemic. And um, so I'm, you know, really proud of our, our, our membership for all that they have done. They have been, you know, the, the, we have 200,000 people who have um, uh, been in hospitals every single day or healthcare facilities and, you know, without the necessary PPE and other things, really trying to save people's lives at the height of these pandemics. Um, they are heroes. We have teachers who have, you know, just built the plane and flown it you know, to try to engage kids everywhere within like three and a half nanoseconds. We had food service providers who all across the country have been helping to create these grab and goes for kids, you know, because of all the um, hunger insecurity and so many, you know, kids have needed to have the grab and goes. We've had um, public servants who have made sure that, you know, they, that, I mean, they redefine what is essential and they have made sure that the country still has operated through, you know, the worst um, pandemic we've had in 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 generations. So I'm really proud of my members and our and and the workers of America who have actually been out there making sure that Americans have survived during this um, crisis. And you know, the least we can do is try to make sure that we make a convention um, the first time ever virtually. Um, as meaningful as possible for them. Well, let me just close by saying this, that what I hear so from so many people, uh, so many parents, particularly across the country, is that they have never appreciated until now teachers as much as they do, seeing the way teachers have responded to the coronavirus pandemic. And that's a tribute to you and to your members. Uh, and I, I just want you to know, I think... Americans feel that way across the board. So our um, our members, be be they teachers or nurses or um, you know respiratory therapists or PSRPs, um, uh, bus drivers, um, they've they've given their all for um, the people of America, and it is really gratifying that people see it and feel it. And, and have expressed it. And, but that's, but this is, let me end on a hopeful note. With all the craziness of these three crises made worse by um, Donald Trump's lack of leadership or you know, in, in both incompetent and narcissistic um, leadership, um, what's happened is look at what Americans have done. Look at who Americans are. They deserve a leadership in this country that befits who they are, the majority of them. And and my members are part of the better angels of America um, who want every single day to make a difference in the lives of others and ask simply for that they be treated fairly in response to that. They deserve a leadership in America that does that, that sees our better angels, that sees us 
as people who were, you know, that beacon on the hill and sees the country's better days ahead of us instead of behind us in a way that um, that brings people together and that lifts all aspirations, not divides and um, and and um, in bitterness and hate. And I hope we get to a leadership in this country, in the presidency, that befits who America really is. Randy Weingarten, thank you for your leadership. Thank you and to your members for doing the Lord's work. And thanks for spending so much time with us today. Great to thank see you. Thank you. And that's a wrap for today's podcast with Randy Weingarten, president of the AFT. A thanks to President Weingarten for joining us. And thanks to all of you for joining us, taking the time to find out what's up with schools in September. A very, very important question. One little bit of homework we assigned to you before you leave, and that is if you haven't already done so, please subscribe to the Bill Press Pod. You know how to do it. Just wherever you're listening to this podcast, pull up the Bill Press Pod, click on subscribe. You are in, and please tell your friends to do the same. And then follow me on Twitter. So we talk in between podcasts at Bill Press Pod on Twitter at Bill Press Pod. Again, thanks for being there today. We'll see you again on the next edition of the Bill Press Pod. Meanwhile, stay strong, stay safe, wash your hands, social distance, do all the right things, and we'll see you back next on the Bill Press Pod.